We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 12 today. We're starting in verse 13, and we'll be going through verse uh, 34. And this is uh, the word of the Lord, and it's, it's for our good because he loves us. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, uh, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he, said, and he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do it as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy, Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for the challenge of your word. We thank you that you do know our hearts. You know what the treasures of our hearts are. We ask that you'd use uh, Jesus' words now to unveil our hearts, explain to us our hearts. I pray that you'd give us courage that we uh, would understand um, both our, our money and why you've given it to us, and we'd understand your fatherly care for us, that you do care for our uh, physical needs and to provide for us, that um, we would not be those of little faith, but that we would trust in you and rest in your steadfast, unfailing love. And so um, open our eyes and our minds to your love for us. Uh, Through your word, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, it's part of the habit of our church that um, 
I just go straight through books of the Bible, passage by passage, so that um, the things that you're learning and, and I'm teaching to you are not uh, Nate's uh, pet topics that I uh, think are important that I want to explain to you, but I just go through the Bible and let the Bible decide what are the topics we're going to talk about. And you know, we've, I, I, if, you've, if you've been with us for a while, you notice we've hit quite a lot of areas of life. You know, we've talked, we've had a number of sermons on marriage and raising children. On uh, last week was on fear. Uh, we've had, uh, we've talked about prayer. We've talked about social justice and uh, caring for the poor. And we've talked a whole lot about Jesus and the gospel. And, um, and here, uh, uh, this morning, Jesus says that an important part of discipleship, an important part of our spiritual lives, is how we handle our money, how we uh, think about our money, uh, what, how our hearts grab on, onto money, and, and why God's given us money. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you just about, it's been about two years ago, um, we were we, I've shared with some of you that we were getting ready to, to come and start this church. We were in St. Louis. I was going to seminary. And uh, it was, you know, the first part of uh, 2009, and which, if you remember the first part of 2009, you imagine that trying to raise money to start a church, uh, the beginning of 2009 would not have been a good time to do that. Uh, the economy was uh, tanking, and uh, I was, you know, calling churches, trying to raise support um, to go up to Washington, to Bellingham, to start a church. And they're all saying, listen, you know, we'd love, we, we're happy for what you're doing, but, you know, we're having to let pastors and staff people in our own church go because we, we don't have any money, and there's no money anywhere. And, and, uh, and I had sent out support letters, and very little money had come in, and, and uh, the people who were uh, overseeing me had said that I really I probably needed about $300,000 to be raised over a five-year five period, and I had nothing coming in. And... Uh, but there was this one church uh, down in Alabama. It's, it's the biggest church in our denomination, and I had somehow I'm you know I'm from Washington. Who do I know in Alabama? But I had somehow gotten to met the senior pastor there, and had kind of got in with their missions committee guy who decided what to do with their money. And so I went down to Alabama. You know, flew down there, went to this church. I had my tie and suit on. You know, looking very southern and um, and put together, all prepared for you know to tell them about this church plan I want to do. And uh, and you know, it was it, it was it would have been a big chunk of towards the fundraising that I needed to do. And um, and I came back, and it was at least at least two or three months till I heard anything from them. And um, I remember over that period of time. As a, in fundraising, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the church. So, you know, I didn't have tons of uh, Christian families as a part of my family, you know, network of contacts. Um, I'd never been in ministry before. I didn't, so I didn't have a church that I'd been in where I could ask individuals for money. And, you know, I was from Washington, the most unchurched state in the country. So um, just not a lot of Christian. And, and so I was, I was having dead end after dead end after dead end. And so I was holding on to this, okay, this one church, they're going to come through, you know, they're going to come through for me. And I remember I got the email saying, we're sorry to inform you that we're not going to be uh, supporting you. My last kind of hope. And uh, which is really hard thing because in, in planting a church, one of the things they tell you is one of the ways that you know that you should be planting a church is can you raise money? You know, if, if people are willing to give money to you, then that means you're probably a good communicator and, and people know 
And here was my last church that I was holding out on, and, uh, and they said, sorry, we're, uh, we don't have anything for you. And uh, I remember right after that, I was, in, I was at, in seminary, I went to chapel right after. And that song we just sang, Speak, O Lord, that was one of the songs uh, we sang in chapel. And I was up in the balcony, and um, we got to this, that last part of the song where it says, Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us to grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace, we'll stand on your promises. And by faith, we'll walk as you walk with us. By faith, we'll walk. And as I was singing that, you know, I was singing out, I started sobbing my eyes out, you know. The church didn't give me money, and I'm sobbing my eyes out. I don't know how I'm going to play in a church. I don't know what I'm going to do after seminary. And, you know, the people are kind of standing next to me, like, what's wrong with this guy? And, uh, and, uh, but what was happening, uh, what the Lord taught me through the whole experience of fundraising is that our relationship to money is one of the most tangible indicators of how much we know and trust that God is a Father who loves us and will take care of us. Money is one of the, the most tangible indicators, the places where we see that. And, uh, you know, actually, in our culture, there's a lot of uh, debate about what a family is, what's important in a family, what makes up a family. One of the things that, on, you know, across the table that everyone says is important about a family is that a parent is supposed to provide two things for their children. One, supposed to tell their children they love them, that they're valuable, that, to give them an emotional security to their children. And secondly, that they are supposed to provide for the physical needs of their children. That is what a good father does, is provides for the physical needs of his children. Not just the emotional, right? But the physical, shelter, clothes, uh, food. And if God is a good father, one of the things that being a good father will mean is that he is going to be involved in providing for our uh, physical needs, the things that we need. And um, it's a fact, I think it's amazing that children um, are born with a kind of sense that their parents have unlimited resources. You know, my kids, they were just asking me this week about taking them to Disneyland. And, uh, you know, can we go to Disneyland? Uh, oh, we can't, af- we can't afford to all go to Disneyland. And they're like, just put it on the card, you know? <laughs> we've never... <laughs> I've, we've never gone into a store and the card didn't work. You know, the card works. Just put it on the card. You know, the children have unlimited resources. They say, my parents have unlimited resources. And I think that there, maybe that's a clue to us that kids uh, get something, that part of how we're supposed to live is walking with a father that we know has unlimited resources and that we can always go to and we can ask to, and uh, there's nothing that he can't provide or can't do. And, uh, and Jesus gives us, in this text, essentially a promise exactly to that effect. Um, an important promise. Look at, look at verse 29 again. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. God will provide for the physical needs that we need financially, uh, food, feeding, feeding our kids. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this passage and show you how money is a potential spiritual hazard, both for people who have a lot of money and for people who don't have any money. That um, both of us 
both of those groups of people need to look to God and find out that he's a loving father who will care for them. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to look at that under two headings. First of all, that God himself is our abundance. Okay? God is our riches. He is our wealth. And secondly, that God himself knows our need. So God is our abundance, and he knows our need. And so the reason for both of these things is because he's our father. So first, uh, God himself is our abundance. Now this passage that we're looking at begins with a, uh, uh, Jesus uh, teaching the crowds. And there's a guy in the crowd who says, listen, uh, my parents just died, and my brother is fighting with me over the inheritance. He's not giving me my cut. Um, and this is actually, this is not, this is a very uh, common thing that happens that, uh, you know, uh, a wealthy parent's, pass away, and then siblings who got along just fine all of a sudden hate each other, rips families apart because uh, they want the money and the inheritance. I mean, it's just sad, it's petty, it's pathetic, and yet it happens all the time. And the image is that money can destroy people, money can destroy relationships. And so Jesus goes on to tell um, a parable about a rich man, and he begins by saying this in verse 16. Uh, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And, uh, which is another way to say, here's a man who God has blessed. This is a man who God has, has opened up and said, uh, he's given him, provided for him financially, uh, he's got a good house, he's secure, blessings are coming, money's coming to him easily, he knows how to, he knows how to acquire wealth, and, and he's doing well. And uh, Jesus says um, that the man in, in the next verse responds to his blessings, and he asks himself a crucial question. This is what he asks him. What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? So what he's saying is, um, basically he's asking, how should I respond to blessing? God has brought his blessings upon me. How should I respond to that? That's a, that's a very good question. And uh, in the Bible, the, the, the answer to that question is always that the reason that God blesses us is so that we will become a blessing to others. God blesses us so that, you know, the, the most famous place in Genesis 12 uh, with Abraham, God calls Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you into a great nation, I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will find blessings. So that's, that's what the Bible says. This is the reason that God gives us blessings, is so it will be like God and, uh, and will bless others, because that's what God does. And, um, and so in that, in that regard, the answer to this question is probably, uh, you know, if you skip down to verse 33, Jesus tells his disciples to sell your possessions and give to the needy. Okay, so that's probably what Jesus is expecting this, this rich man should do with his blessings. Now, does that mean that, you know, should we sell everything and give to the needy? Is that always what God calls us to do uh, with our money? Uh, we know from other places of Scripture that's not true. You know, Proverbs 13 says, uh, you know, a, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So saving money and, and blessing your grandchildren is, is a good thing. Or uh, 1 Timothy 5, 8 says that uh, if any man does not provide for those who, uh, the members of his own household, if he does not provide for him, then uh, he is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. So... Uh, the Bible wants us to be wise with our money and to provide for those who are around, uh, who are around us. But um, 
that's not exactly what's happening here. Um, just a month or two ago, Shannon got a, um, a book on, uh, it, was, it was kind of on parenting. It was written by a young gal who's got five little children, actually about the same ages as our five little kids. And uh, she's kind of writing from the trenches. I don't know what she, how she describes that. I'm writing from, the, while I'm in the trenches of, of parenting. And um, she, has, she had this section where she was talking about kind of the rules of their house um, in terms of kids sharing toys and, and wh- how, who can play with what and, and how, do you, how, how could sh- should kids treat each other. And she has this paragraph where she says that um, if you are playing with something that belongs to a sibling and they ask for it back, you must give it. Uh, but if you are the owner, you may not go around seizing your toys as soon as you notice anyone else enjoying them, just because they are enjoying it. You cannot hoard toys like a dragon hoards treasure, alone and in a cave. Our children have even gone so far as to physically lie down on a toy, the perfect picture of a dragon. So you may not be a dragon. That is a hard and fast rule. So the picture of kids hoarding toys, laying on them. And essentially, that's what the, the rich man's response to. God is blessing me. God is pouring money. Uh, my barns are bursting over. What should I do with it? He turns into a dragon, and he sits on it. And he says, I am going to keep it for me. Now, Jesus' response in this parable is that the rich man should have been rich toward God. You see that in there in verse uh, 21, the end of verse 21, that the rich man should have been rich toward God. What does that mean, uh, to be rich toward God? Well, let me, uh, let me suggest two things. First, I think that being rich toward God means finding out that uh, God is our abundance. God is our rich. We're rich and not being rich in the sense that our wealth is our abundance and our richness, but God is who makes us rich. And um, in this parable, Jesus, you know, I love how Jesus tells this story. He kind of talks about the rich man having this self-talk where he starts talking to his soul. Um, And you you see that in verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And the word that's used there, you see that word relax? The, the word, it's uh, anapao is, is a Greek word, which actually means uh, to give rest. And uh, in the Bible, um, uh, so essentially what this man is saying when he's talking to himself, is he says, uh, soul, you have lots of riches, now you can have rest. And uh, if, you know, if you know that word rest in the Bible, rest in the Bible is not, you know, you're in a hammock with a lemonade, kind of take a nap, you know. Uh, that's not rest in the Bible. Rest in the Bible is, is a sense of completion. That my human life has kind of come, uh, it has kind of consummated. I've become who I was meant to be. I feel secure. I'm, God loves me. Um, uh, it, it's a sense of completion. So, you know, I mean, in, in the creation story, you know, God creates the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. And it was a sense of him enjoying the things that he'd made. Or, you know, when Israel comes out of Egypt, they're going to come into the promised land, which is the land of rest. And, uh, and so rest is, is a much more holistic image than just taking a nap. He's not just saying, oh, now I have all this wealth, I can, uh, I can take a nap. He's saying, um, I'm complete now because I have all this wealth. This wealth is what makes me a man. 
And, um, and inside each one of us, um, there is a longing for rest. Uh, there's a longing for completion. Uh, a longing to know I am not a loser and I can be secure in my life. I want to know I'm not a loser. And I know that, and I'm, I'm sure that I, I'm going to be secure and I'm going to be taken care of and I'm going to be healthy. That's what I want to know. That's what I uh, that's the rest that our hearts are kind of aching for. And the, this guy in this parable deceives himself that money and possessions can give him that deep rest, that um, uh, settle his unrest. He thinks that money can be a dad to him. He thinks, you know, what a dad should do is, is tell you you're not, a, not just not tell you you're not a loser, but tell you you're loved and that you're valuable. He thinks that money can tell him that he's someone somebody, and he thinks that money can tell him that, that uh, he'll be secure in his life. And Jesus calls him a fool. Money, uh, money can't provide for all your physical needs because Jesus says you could die tomorrow. Uh, it, it can't keep you as safe as you think, as, as you think it can. Um, but it also, it cannot give you an apollo. It cannot give you rest. And in fact, in Matthew 11, uh, Jesus has a very famous saying where he says, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will anapao you. I will give you rest. The same word right there. That Jesus says, the, the things that we think that wealth can give us, if I get money, if I get that job, if, um, if I'm secure, I'm going to feel whole, I'm going to feel complete, I'm going to feel at rest. He says, you're a fool if you think money will give that to you, but I will. So being uh, rich toward God, what being rich toward God means is all the things that we think that money is promising to give us, the security, the wholeness, the completion. Being ri- Jesus says be rich toward God means finding your riches, that he is your riches, and that he's the only one who can give you that. But second, uh, being rich toward God means um, that God gets our abundance. So God is our abundance and God gets our abundance. It means being luxurious and reckless in our spending uh, for God and his kingdom and especially for people who are in need. Spending our money kind of recklessly for people who are in need. Um, you know, it's, it, there's a common, uh, you know, people often ask me about the question of um, in the Old Testament there was uh, a lot of talk about the tithe in the Old Testament that, uh, you know, the people of Israel they gave a tenth of their produce that went uh, to, you know, care for the priests, the livelihood of the priests. Um, it, you know, provided for the tabernacle. It was given for alms to give to the poor so the priests could dispor- disperse to the, to the poor. And then uh, it was also, a tenth was given so that the community of Israel would come together and they'd have these big feasts throughout the year. They'd have these feast days and feast weeks where they'd get together and they'd have these big feasts together. And so there's this question of, okay, in the New Testament, you know, uh, I understand that that's what they did in the Old Testament. They give a tenth of the money. And uh, in the New Testament, is that still the same? I mean, isn't that kind of a, a legalism to say, you know, in the Old Testament we believed in the letter of the law, that there's all these rules that you obey, and now we're in the New Testament and we believe in the spirit, you know, the spirit of the law, which I, I'm not sure if that's the best way to explain it. But, you know, I had a, um, um, uh, a professor in seminary, he's a sweet old guy named Jerem, the sweetest guy you'll ever meet, but he, uh, he, he said, you know, yeah, saying that we would only uh, give away 10% of our money, uh, yeah, that would be legalism because the chances that, you, that the Messiah has come and the Holy Spirit has come into your life and that you would only give away 10% of your money is, 
that's highly uh, improbable. I mean, the, the chances of the, of the Holy Spirit coming in and have you only give away 10% uh, is highly unlikely. And, um, and the question is, um, of course, if the Holy Spirit has come and now we live by the Spirit, we're going to be even more generous. I mean, that Jesus has get, took, you know, that, uh, the uh, assurance of pardon that Trevor read, that he who is rich became poor for us so that we might become rich. Um, if that's our new identity, that's the thing that shapes us, of course we're going to become far more generous with our money than we ever would have been before. But why is it difficult for us to let God have our abundance? To give God to our abundance, give our abundance to his kingdom. Well, I think that one reason um, is that uh, we have the belief that we should be responsible with our money. Right? We need to be, uh, that's a very, you know, as Americans, we think I need to be responsible with our money. In some sense, you know, I I need to save. um, I need to plan ahead. And in some ways, that's what the guy, this rich guy in this parable is doing, is he's planning ahead, he's storing things up, he's saving money. And in some ways, to be a generous person, you actually do, you do need to be responsible for your money. You know, you need to think through things like, okay, you know, maybe, you know, if I'm going to care for the poor, maybe I need to cut back on the lattes or, you know, you, you know, you think about where, how am I spending my money, I need to be careful with it. But on the other hand, it, it, um, there are a lot of people in the world who are actually very good at um, uh, acquiring money, organizing money, um, uh, uh, handling their money, and yet end up being not very generous with it. And there are a whole other group of people who are um, not good with their money and don't know how to handle it, and they're irresponsible, and yet they're far more generous. You know, actually, one of the great examples of this is C.S. Lewis. Uh, I don't know if you know this, is C.S. Lewis gave away most of his money throughout his life, like over 70% of his income uh, uh, he gave away to charities. And uh, all of his Christian books that he wrote, which he sold, you know, uh, millions of copies of, um, the, the money that came from that he gave away. And so much to the extent that he, uh, he often couldn't pay his bills. Um, uh, and he, was, he just wasn't very good. He actually wasn't very good with numbers. Um, he... Uh, he almost didn't get into Oxford uh, when he was, you know, 18 or whatever because he couldn't pass the algebra exam uh, to get in. So they had to give him, a, like, a, a break to let him in. He ended up being one of their best students they've ever had. But um, numbers weren't good for him. And, uh, and so th- he was kind of loose-handed with his money. He didn't handle it well, and yet he was tremendously generous with it. And so much so that he couldn't pay his bills, he even probably lived in what, what our society would define as poverty. He, he probably lived at that level most of his life. Of course, he was a bachelor most of his life as well. He didn't have a family to provide for and things like that. But, um, but the point is that to be generous with your money, you actually cannot be overly scru- scrupulous with it. If you're counting every dollar... Um, it, you know, giving to the poor is often that way. You're not sure where every dollar is going to go to. You're not sure that it's going to be used for the right thing. And sometimes you just got to do it. You just have to hold your money in some sense in a loose, in a loose way and, uh, and not be frightened that, it, that, it's going to, that it's going to be used irresponsibly. Um, and I'm not saying be irresponsible with your money, but in, in some ways being generous uh, looks that way. And being rich toward God means being in some sense reckless in that way. And it means... Uh, and part of the way that we do that is we realize that all the money that we have, every, all the possessions that we have, 
have come to us from God. They're actually God's. They're on loan to us. They belong to him. And, um, and so uh, much of that is, is, is we can't say this is mine. God has no right to make any claims on this. God has no right to ask me to give, give this to someone who's in need or give this to the work of his kingdom. Um, God has every right to do that. It's his, and he gave it to us. Um, but one of the things that I want to point out about these two definitions of being rich toward God is, one, that God is our abundance, and second, that God gets our abundance, is that you'll never be able to do the second one until you have the first one. You'll never be able to say to God, you can have all my abundance, unless you know that everything that you have, that in God you already have everything. That in, if you have Jesus, you are already rich. Um, your life, if you have God, you're, you're already rich. And so um, everything else, uh, then you can be loose with it because you already have everything in him. But if you don't have everything in God, then you're going to be grabbing onto your money and, and you'll be sitting on it like a dragon. Um, that's what Jesus says to us. So... Um, by the way, I should say, you know, as a side note, some people are, most of you know this, but if you give more money to this church, I, I don't get a raise. Uh, I just, I, I know most of you know that, but some people are uneasy about um, church leaders talking about money. It's, I'm talking about it because uh, this is a, it's a discipleship issue and because Jesus says uh, in this passage, at the end of this passage, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because money is a heart issue. And, um, and so that's why, that's why we talk about it. Now, um, I've been largely looking at uh, this section about the rich man. Um, and this parable about the rich man. And it's really about people who have money. And uh, up to this point, you know, it, it, it kind of the political climate of our culture right now... Um, you know, someone maybe on, on the left would look at what Jesus has said so far and say, Yes, Jesus gets it. The rich people are dragons sitting on their money and, uh, and there's a huge uh, gap between the wealthy and the poor uh, happening in the world that's growing and growing and the rich are just a bunch of dragons who are sitting on, on, on their money and we need to get, we need to get under the dragon and, and, and spread the money out to everyone. Um, now, that may or may not be uh, a good... Uh, application of Jesus' parable. But one of the things that is interesting about Jesus, why Jesus doesn't fall into our categories of liberal and and conservative, is because Jesus never comes and just tells the rich to repent. He never comes and says, you know, he's not a Marxist. He doesn't come and say, I'm I'm on the side of the poor, uh, the rich are evil. He always comes and he tells the rich and the poor that they both need to repent that they're both stumbling in money. They're both not trusting God. They're both not obedient. And so it's interesting that uh, as soon as he's done telling the parable about the rich man, he turns to his disciples who have uh, left everything and are now living a life of poverty, and he begins to talk to them about how for the poor, uh, money is also a spiritual stumbling block. So we're going to look at that now. So So the first point is that God himself is our abundance. The second is that God himself knows our need. Both abundance and need are potential spiritual traps and places where our faith is tested. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I've, I've talked to a number of people, you know a number of people, uh, a number of people in, in our church uh, are facing the, the difficulties of living in this, econ- uh, the economy that we're living in and um, uh, 
the, the job market being difficult. Bellingham has a very difficult job market, and uh, many people are losing, losing jobs, having trouble finding jobs, finding good-paying jobs, provide for their families. And so uh, the question of being in need and money is a very pressing question uh, for many people, many people you know or maybe for you uh, right now. But, you know, what has been interesting in that process of I've talked to people. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, you know, I've been through a lot of hard times and a lot of questions like, I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how we're going to get food on the table. But the Lord has always provided. Food showed up. Rent showed up. I, I don't know, it, but it, I've made it through my life, and it, it's happened again and again. I can't. Person after person has said that to me. And, uh, and the fact is that, God, that Jesus says that, that God the Father actually doesn't just do that for Christians. God does that for all people. You know, Jesus says that God sends the rain to, sh- rain to fall and the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. That, that uh, God to all people is pouring blessings and providing and that we have a father. And, that, um, and that's why Jesus says to his poor disciples in verse 22, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food uh, and the body more than clothing. Um, Jesus doesn't want you to worry uh, about your physical needs and God providing for you. He says your Father will provide for you. So, how do we know that? You know, he says don't be anxious. He's talking about an internal heart issue. How do we get that into us uh, so that it's internalized in us? That I know that I have a father, I'm going to live that way, knowing that I have a father who's caring for me. How do we internalize it? Well, I think Jesus gives us two things. Um, He gives us a spiritual discipline to do, and he gives us a promise. I love this. It's so practical. Uh, First, he gives us a spiritual discipline. How do I I handle anxiety? I love this. Two times, Jesus tells us to consider something, or to look at and contemplate something. First, verse 24. Consider the ravens, They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Notice he's talking about storehouses and barns. Remember the rich ruler, or the rich man? He's making storehouses and barns. And now he's saying, well, the birdies, they don't have have storehouses and barns, and they're still eating. Uh, So you don't need the storehouses and barns. Uh, And then he says again to consider in, in verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? (laughs) And uh, I think Jesus very seriously says, if you're having anxiety about, is God going to provide for me? He says you should go for a walk in the woods. Literally. I mean, you know, consider the birds, consider the flowers and stuff like that. That doesn't mean, this isn't just poetic. Go do it. Look at the birds and you say, the birds, they, they find the worm. I don't know how they, you know, they get there. They're, they're being cared for. Um, and it's just a little birdie. And grass and bushes are getting flowers on them. God is putting meticulous care into all these little things in his creation. He's being diligent to care for all those things. Go and look at them and think about them. And then find out that you are worth way more than them. You're his child. And if he's going to put that much care and meticulous effort into caring for those things, how much more is he going to care for you? He will do it. 
You are his child. And that's connected to the second thing that Jesus gives us. It's not just, that's a spiritual discipline. Go out and have a walk. But the second thing he gives is a promise. And this is really the heart of Jesus' whole teaching on money. Is in verse 29. I read this at the beginning. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Uh, For Jesus, what it means to have faith, faith is not just some feeling, it's not some emotion. Faith is knowing the promises of God and standing on them. Living in light of the promises of God. God has said that he will do this. God has said he will provide for me and standing on this. And he gives this great image. You know, all the nations are seeking after, uh, you know, wealth and money and, and security. And you think of that in our world right now, just watching the news, the different economies of, you know, Europe and China and, and the U.S. And, um, and uh, all the turmoil that's happening is all the people are trying to predict when's the recession going to end. And there's all this chasing after it. And there's this huge global... Uh, a turmoil happening, and then Jesus says, and your Father knows that you, what you need. In the midst of that global turmoil, God knows you personally as an individual what you need, and he, he cares about your needs. And uh, in, in the midst of the, all that turmoil, he sees you. And he says, seek his kingdom, and he will provide for you. And I'll tell you, you know, uh, just to close, that was two years ago where when the church said to me, no, no. We're not going to provide for you. And that was my last church. I didn't know who else to call. And here we are. I don't know how we got here, but somehow two years later, um, we're church planting and we're in Bellingham. And the Lord provided. And he's doing that. And he will do that. Jesus says right here, know these words. Internalize these words. Let these words sit in your heart and live on the promises. That's what faith is in the Father who loves you. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that you are a Father who cares for us. You know our life. You know our needs. And we pray that you would give us the strength to trust you. And uh, we pray that you would help us to seek your kingdom. We pray that you would help us to use our money for your glory, for your work, and for those who are in need. Um, And we pray that you would bring people into our lives who are in need, that we could help them, and uh, that you would open our eyes to them. And so we just thank you that you've done that for us, that you've become poor for us. And uh, so we just give you thanks in Christ's name.